0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you'll remain standing, you turn your Bibles to the book of James for our sermon text this evening. It comes from James chapter 4. This is page 10, uh, 1013 in the Pew Bible, if you're using that. James chapter four, the last part of the chapter, just five verses, looking at verses 13 through 17 together. Let's worship the Lord by listening carefully to this, the public reading of his word. James chapter four, beginning is thirteen in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you, the true and the living God, blessing you, praising you for your word, confessing our great need of your help as we receive that word this evening. Lord, we are weak and ignorant. Uh, the scriptures will be of no profit to us this evening, lest you come by your spirit and bless us with understanding. Make us wise unto salvation and build us up in the grace that is in Jesus Christ Grant that we might believe and obey the precious truths that you would teach us this evening. For we ask for this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. I wonder how many of us here this evening uh, would be familiar with the name, and you're dating yourselves if you are, uh, you're familiar with the name John Hannibal Smith. Does that ring a bell to anyone? John Hannibal Smith, 80s television. If you're doing better things than watching television in the 80s, then I commend you for that. If you're too old, too young to remember this. I, I hope the illustration is helpful anyway. So Hannibal was the, uh, the leader of the iconic A-team. If you remember the A-team, there were four members, four, uh, four, four uh, members of a former commando outfit that had left the, the military. They'd become mercenaries running from the law. Uh, they actually did come out with a movie in 2010. Liam Nelson starred as as uh, Hannibal. Well, Hannibal was known for a famous line that he would always say He would always say, I love it. Wenna. Do you remember it? When a plan comes together, okay, okay, this isn't going over. I love it when a plan comes together, he'd say those words with a, with a cigar, his signature cigar hanging in his mouth. Now, his nickname, of course, was from the original Hannibal of Carthage, the great general who almost destroyed the Roman Empire some 2,200 years earlier. And like his ancient namesake, the A team Hannibal was sort of a, a master tactician. Of course, the, the, the show had combined. Action with comedy, and he would come up with these crazy, absurd, unorthodox methods, crazy ideas for defeating the enemy. And his plans would never turn out quite as they were supposed to, but somehow they would manage to get the upper hand anyway. And part of the humor was that he would always attribute their success to his great planning. I just love it when a plan comes together. The truth is, humanly speaking, it's amazing it worked out. Maybe he got a little bit lucky. As I was thinking about our text this evening, and it uh, occurred to me that that old ter- television character is in some ways the perfect picture of sinful man in his arrogant boasting, kind of imagining himself, great one, you know, like like Hannibal, the great general of Carthage, and truth he's a bit more of the... the uh, the buffoon who lucks out and credits his great planning, his greatness, as that which uh, contributed to his success. And we can watch television and we can laugh about it. But the truth is that the sin of arrogant boasting is no laughing matter. It's a heinous sin in the sight of God. This might strike you as an odd text to be reading, an odd message, sermon title here, Uh, as we come together and we're united, you know, Zion and Shiloh and gather together around God's word. But it struck me that as we approach an annual meeting, this is a good message for us to hear. I hope you'll you'll see why as we consider it this evening. As you look at our text, we have just five verses, and I'm taking kind of the sermon message, the proposition statement from verse 16, and then I have just four points. I'm building one point from each of the other four verses, 13, 14, 15, and then 17. And our simple message this evening is this— Dear Christian, your God calls you to put off your arrogant boasting and to humble yourself before him, your sovereign Lord. Our four points are really four reasons why we ought to do so. Four four ways in which we can see just how awful is the sin of arrogant boasting. Our four points are this. Number one, the Lord controls the future, not you. Number two, your life is short, and then number three, all gain is His gift, and lastly, you know this. So our first point then: the Lord controls the future, not you. You see, when we when we commit this sin, it's as if we're, we're acting as if it's the other way around and I think we see that in James's description of the sin here as you notice it in verse 13 as we look at his words here we see that James is not so much thinking about military strategy type of planning he's thinking about business endeavors thinking about those who are spending trading making a profit uh the, the text before us this evening many kind of see in terms of the structure of James they see it as Part of the the uh, broader section extends all the way to chapter five, verse twelve, and in this section, James is addressing particularly the rich five one says Come now, you rich now it 's not the rich who know and uh, uh, who know the lord It's it 's likely i some suggest in the beginning of chapter five at least that James is partic- is addressing particularly uh, the unbelieving rich non Christians. That may or may not be the case. I don't think it's true of our text this evening so much. But of course, this brings instruction for Christians as well. At any rate, as we look at our text, James is kind of uh, addressing a, a, a type of thinking and speaking, which is more commonly committed by the ungodly, rich, James is not saying that it's sin to be wealthy, obviously, nor is he saying that all wealthy people commit this sin, but he does seem to be addressing behavior which is, uh, which is taking place. He says, come you who say this, who say thus and thus, it seems he has in, in mind uh, individuals who have attained much wealth through successful business endeavors. Perhaps perhaps he 's you know thinking of folks who, in the past, have put together put together great plans, and those plans have been successful they 've managed to make lots of money, Of course, planning is not a bad thing the the scripture certainly commends wise planning, hard work, which brings a reward from the Lord, a reward that brings you know god 's blessing for those who do so in faith as unto the Lord. But James is addressing these ones who sadly have not engaged in their business endeavors unto the Lord. They've not uh, responded well to all of their success in business. They've not humbled themselves before God and been grateful for their success. They've not received it in humility from the hand of the Lord. Rather, their success their wealth has brought them to the place where they act as if ultimately they are the ones who have brought it about. And so there's a, a, a pride and arrogance, a smug certainty about them that, that what they've done in the past, they can do it again, right? I can make, I've made money in the past. I can make money anytime I want, I got this. In fact, as you look at the language, it's not simply that these folks are confident. You know, maybe if I if I work really hard and I try a lot of different things, maybe, maybe God will bless and some of, something will work out in my favor. The Lord will choose to bless my endeavors. It's more like, no, it's going to go exactly as I plan. I will orchestrate every detail. I'm in control of this. I'm in control of the when, the where the how long and the what we see all of those things in verse 13 don't we the when today or tomorrow we will go the where we will go into such and such a town the how long we will spend a year there and most importantly the what or the, uh, uh, the what and we will trade and make a profit see that all the money I want I can make any time I want. I can I can add to my riches. My my future is in my hands. I've got this. Oh, what foolish foolish arrogance. Of course these these words are for all of us this evening, whether rich or poor, whether we are those who are engaged in business endeavors or not, we can all be given to this kind of of arrogant thinking, arrogant Boasting, and this evening James helps us to see the awfulness of this sin, so that by God's grace we might remove it far from us, acknowledge it for what it is—the uh, sin of acting as if we are in control of our lives rather than the Lord. But then he he gives us a second reason to do so. This is our second point: your life is short. This is verse fourteen. Of course, everyone. Uh, who's lived any significant length of time knows this to be true. We know that life is full of unexpected events no one can predict even what will happen in the next moment only god knows the future and yet here these these arrogant boasters they're they're speaking of what they will do not only today but also tomorrow and even over the course of the year and i presume even beyond that we will spend a year there and trade and make a profit And so James rebukes them with this this reminder of reality, yet you do not know. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I think uh, likely James has in mind that parable our Lord told in Luke chapter 12. Remember the parable about the, the rich man who had his land and it produced such a great harvest, that he didn't know what to do with all of his crops. And so he decided, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build new ones to store them all. The man said to himself, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But remember what God said to him fool, he called him. You fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Of course, the the parable ended with that warning. Luke chapter 12, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. But what a warning this is to the, the arrogant boaster, the one who thinks that he is in control. He forgets He forgets that God is in control. He forgets that any moment the Lord can send any, all manner of disaster, which can completely cause all of his business projects to fail completely and wipe out all of his wealth. But more than that, his life itself can end at any moment. We all all know that everyone dies. We all know that history is full of examples of those who have done so suddenly and unexpectedly, I know that there was a a reminder of that just this past week with the tragic death of this this ten year old girl known by some of you at Zion. How sad! We, we, we pray for this family. We 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 thank the Lord that that they have the hope of the gospel. But when the arrogant boaster, the one who forgets God, when when, when the arrogant boaster brags about his or her life, it's as if they're they're, they're acting as if they're immortal, right? They can just live forever. And so in verse 14, James asks that question, what is your life? He reminds them you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What an image for us, a mist, a vapor. That's what our our life is like here today, gone tomorrow. I love it when a plan comes together, said proud, boasting Hannibal. What a joke. Ironic that he's sitting there smoking a cigar, right? His life is like a puff of smoke. There it is. And in one moment vanishes and it's gone. The only thing certain, the only thing certain for the, the proud boaster is the certainty of death. And the irony here is that, that the, 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 the brevity of life and the certainty of death is precise, precisely, I think we can say, precisely because of the sin of arrogant pride. Death, of course, is the wages of sin, the wages of my sin, the wages of your sin, the wages of our sin. In that first sin, the sin of our father, Adam, you and I in Adam, we were the arrogant boaster. We exalted ourselves. We sought to be like God, knowing good and evil. And think about what's so sad about this is that think about the context here. God, according to his kind purpose, he wasn't exalting himself over us, but graciously condescending and, and set forth this purpose, this plan. We call it the covenant of life. God really had said in so many words had said to Adam, Adam, don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself before me, obey me, and you will live with me forever. Instead, Adam believed the lie, believed the lie of the devil and refused to submit in humble, grateful obedience to God's plan. Instead, he said, I'll, I'll make my own plan. I'll succeed. I'll lay hold of life, life by my, my own means. And the last death came into the world. The wages of sin is death. And so the brevity of life, your life, my life, like a puff of smoke here one moment, the next vanishing into thin air. And James is, is essentially saying what our Lord asked in Mark chapter 8, verse th- 37. What can a man give in exchange for his life? He's saying all of your, all of your proud boasting, all of your great planning, all of your wealth attained through your successful business endeavors. It can do nothing to stop death and to boast arrogantly is to pretend otherwise. Your life is short. But then James gives us another reason to see the awfulness of this sin. And that's our third point, which is that all gain is God's gift. This is verse 15. Instead, Instead of arrogant boasting, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will live and do this or that. This is a verse which we ought to know very, very well because this is the great proof text, I presume, or at least the primary proof text for the common expression, Lord willing or the Lord willing. There's an expression which is used so commonly, or we hear it so often that perhaps we say it or hear it without giving much thought to what we're saying, what it means. But I think it's a good expression, it's an expression about which we ought to give much thought. Indeed, James reminds us that what happens in this world, what happens in our lives, it's not the result of our great planning. It happens according to the purpose. It happens according to the plan of the God who works all things after the counsel of his will. Nothing comes to pass, but that which he wills come to pass. And in this context, his particular point is that any gain, any gain comes through business endeavors or anything we receive in this world, any good we receive comes only as the gift of God. God's kind gift this takes us back to the book of ecclesiastes the wisdom of solomon in ecclesiastes not man's gain but god's gift ecclesiastes 5:19 everyone also to whom god has given wealth and position possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil this is the gift of God. And so God is rebuking, and so James here's rebuking the arrogant boasters and reminding them and reminding you and me this evening. If your business endeavors have succeeded, it's not ultimately because of anything you've done. Ultimately, it's not your clever uh, or wise planning. It's happened because of the will of the Lord, his plan, and it's happened to you as a result of God's gracious provision, God's goodness, God's gift to you. And what a gracious God he is, a God who provides so wonderfully for his people to such unworthy recipients, finite and even sinful creatures, God gives such Kind gifts. I think it's good for us as we're about to come to a an annual meeting. It's so good for us to stop and just think about that. Right, this is an opportunity to ponder and reflect upon all of God's goodness. It certainly, His goodness in providing for our finances. Part of a coming together will involve looking at a at a budget, dear saints, saints of Shiloh, saints of Zion, Presbyterian Church. God has been so good to us. Certainly, he's been good to us in the way that he's provided for us financially. Obviously, we don't put our trust in money. We, we put our trust in the, the living God. We thank the Lord. But I do have to say, I've been absolutely amazed the way ever, ever since I came to Shiloh. Every instance, every time, you know, Tim is... Given the session, a report from the deacons, report on where we stand financially, where the, the church stands in, in terms of its giving. I don't think I remember one instance, not even once, where we've had to say, boy, giving is, is way down. Finances are tight. You know, we're at risk of not meeting our budget, not being able to pay our bills, not being able to pay our pastors. <laughs> Sometimes we think about that, don't we? It's, it's amazing. It's always been, look, look at the Lord. Has blessed us. God has enabled His people to provide so wonderfully. For some, some have, you know, made plans and engaged in business endeavors, and God has has blessed those efforts and prospered them. Others are not business persons, but God has a, you know, you have a a different calling, but you've you've worked hard, and you've prospered, and the the Lord has enabled you, and God's people have so wonderfully, faithfully, sacrificially given, and it's not that we're to, to, you know, think that God is most pleased with those who are able to give the most, certainly our word's Uh, Our Lord's words in Luke 21 about the, the widow and her two small coins certainly teach us not to think that way, but by every means that God has ordained, he has so, so wonderfully provided for his church through his people. And this text before us this evening is such a reminder that we ought not to presume to enjoy such provision, but for God's grace. Nor do we presume but for his grace that that having lots of money means that we're necessarily doing everything right, right? And that God's favor is necessarily upon us, that his blessing is upon us. James teaches us anything in this passage and in the broader context. He, context, he teaches us that you can have lots of money, lots of riches, and not be walking rightly before the Lord. The world is is full of rich, arrogant boasters who know nothing of the riches of God's grace. So James teaches us to receive God's gifts with gratitude, to receive them with humility, to receive them without presumption, without presuming that, you know, as it's been in the past, so it will always be, right? We we, we don't know what tomorrow will bring Sometimes God provides so faithfully, so consistently that we just come to expect it. Of course, it's this way. We deserve it to be this way. No, we should never think that way. To think that way, to speak that way is to go down the path of the arrogant boaster. The Lord, the one who is our great provider, our sovereign Lord teaches us. He's taught us to say, if the Lord wills as confessionally reformed people, we of all people with our robust doctrine of the the sovereignty of God, we know this. And yet sometimes we, 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 we don't rise up to our good theology in the way we think and in the way we speak. We know better. That brings us to our last point this evening, the last reason we ought to put off our sin of arrogant boasting. And that's because we know this. We know this. It's not, I got this, right? It's by God's grace. I know this. We know this, and we ought to act according to what we know. James ends this section with interesting words, verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Just like verse 15. This is a great proof text. This is a a text we we cite uh in 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 teaching our, our doctrine of sin. We believe that not only are there sins of commission, which is when we do what the Lord forbids, but there are also sins of omission, when we fail to do what the Lord commands. It's interesting these words of James, because it seems pretty clearly here. He is he's rebuking uh folks for a sin of commission. It's sin to boast arrogantly. God says, don't do it. And these ones were doing it, but he ends on these words. And we see that the command here is not only not to boast, the command is is positive, bow, bow your knee before the Lord, acknowledge him as the sovereign one, the one who blesses according to his will. As Christians, we of all people know this. We are not a congregation of John Hannibal Smiths we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have received of the riches of God's grace. Uh, certainly we, we acknowledge that everything we have in terms of this world's goods, those the, those are all the gift of God. But we understand that most profoundly when it comes to the most important things, the things of God's kingdom, the things of the grace of Jesus Christ, we don't glory ultimately in, nor do we seek after the riches, the wealth, the things of this world. God has taught us that all of this world, all of its wealth will come to an end. We know it's true. We know it's true because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, he said, now is the judgment upon this world. It's already begun in him. It's interesting that James reminds uh, these ones in the broader context of the age into which Uh, Christ has brought us what makes the sin of the wicked who put their trust in their wealth so particularly awful is the fact that they do so in the last days. And so he rebukes them in chapter 5, verse 3. He says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. These are the last days. It's all about to come to an end. Not only are our individual lives brief and about to pass away, but this world is about to pass away, and yet we know that God, by his grace, has promised us a kingdom which will never pass away, a new world where we will dwell in the presence of God, enjoying the riches, all of his rich, glorious provisions for his people forever and ever and ever, and it's all of his gift, all of his grace. We know this. We know that the gospel is a gospel, not of a life that's gone here today and gone tomorrow, but life eternal life forever and ever. James asks that question, what is your life? I think J- James remembered well the words of our Lord, uh, maybe thinking of, of, of his very words and that follow that parable. In Luke chapter 12, verse 23 he says, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Or perhaps the, uh, the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus, where he speaks about What life truly is, eternal life. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, we know that life has appeared, that life has come. It's come not as a result of of our wise planning or anything that you and I could ever or have ever done. This is all. The, all that the fruit of Christ's work, the reward of his finished work, the one who in that prayer prayed to the Father and said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's because of his work, the one who alone glorified the Father, that he, Christ, has been given authority over all flesh to give eternal life, to give eternal life to all those whom the Father has given to him jesus the god man he's the the only one who whoever could the one who did look at the future and take that future into his own hands the one who could speak with absolute Certainty. We think of the time he he did speak that way in Luke chapter 13, 31 and 32. It was a time when the, the Pharisees came and they warned him, You better get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. Do you remember what Jesus said in his reply? He said, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. So that, that was not arrogant boasting. That was glorious obedience. That was submission to the purpose and plan of God, submission to the work that God gave him to do. And we praise God. That work was done for us. And we praise God that due to no plan of ours or anything we've ever done, God has opened up our eyes to see Christ, to see the value of his work. What a marvelous, marvelous reminder for us as we, we come together and we we, we we consider what God has done. We consider what we hope he will do. Maybe we're thinking, oh, we hope in one year that Zion will be organized. We hope at such and such a time this will happen, that will happen. It's good to think. It's good to plan. But let's humble ourselves before our God. Let's remember that our individual lives, our lives as congregations, our future, all of these things are completely in the hands of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we know this. And so by God's grace, let's do as he calls us to do. Let's put off our our arrogant pride and let's look to him. Let's live according to what we know. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, what the Lord requires of thee, to walk justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, humbly, humbly before your God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. With all humility, with all zeal for his glory, let's put off our pride and let's, let's serve him together. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to do that this night and all of our days. Oh, Lord, help us to see that that arrogance, pride, boasting, is a, help us to see it for the sin that it is, and help us then, Lord God, to forsake that sin, to forsake ourselves, and to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Would you open up our eyes afresh that, that we might see him and embrace him again in faith for the wonderful, wonderful Savior that he is. And grant then, O Lord, that we would indeed walk in the wisdom of humble submission to you, O Sovereign Lord. Please hear us. For we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.